0: welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Now, although my co-host Dana has returned to work, I gave her the day off this afternoon off so she can uh, get a full recovery. in. So let's go ahead and start the show. And again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing, Sisva. Let's start this show off with our first cup. Now, this uh, first cup, I can say, is a, could be either a pick me up or a bring me down, a little, whatever, you know, mellow me out. Uh, as I'm recording this show uh, a little late in the day, I don't want to disrupt my staff who are busy working all day in their cubicles and offices. So I wait till everyone runs away and then I record the shows when I can, Uh, at least until we have Dana back on the show. But a couple things going on, you know, as we've talked about the last few shows, she's doing a little bit of recovery from having her appendix taken out. But also, more importantly, this is the first week of classes on our campus. So it's been very busy and I have at least two staff out for a variety of reasons, if not three, a couple openings we have yet to fill. And so it is kind of uh, an interesting time here as uh, everyone's busy. It's either at the front counter, working our actual front counter, or working our virtual front counters, or answering phones, or when possible, answering emails. And so um, it's been a busy time. Even with only 25% of our classes approximately on campus, we do have some foot traffic, and of course, we have some virtual foot traffic. I'm assuming it's kind of like this at many colleges across California, let across, uh, you know, across the U.S. Because I don't know if anyone's back a hundred percent. Certainly, even if we had held a plan to do so, it may not have come through that way because planning for semesters. And I, I always answer this with friends who are from outside the higher ed industry, you know, like, why wouldn't everyone be back, you know, assuming we didn't have this little bit of a bump in the pandemic. uh, It's a planning thing again, you know, it probably started back in January and February, where you have to figure out classroom space, uh, staffing, faculty availability, and start charting out how many classes you're going to offer in what areas and sections and majors, et cetera. And so from there, you kind of have a plan going forward. And so how many are going to be online? How many are going to be in person? And you plan it out that way. And then things get better, <laughs> as they did during parts of the spring. And uh, students start enrolling because they start enrolling, you know, April, May, June. Certainly we have students who are, uh, we enrolling all throughout the summer to pick up classes. But you have that plan in place. And it's not easy to just say, we'll move a whole class online or offline uh, even uh, before the start of the semester, because there's a lot of logistics behind it. So, yes, it's a, it's an interesting time, this being the first week of classes, so I gave Dana some time off, but we're going to still do a pod. It might be a little shorter than the average podcast that we do, only because I'm trying to pull news that I think is important out there in the financial aid world. And I've got a number of things here lined up, and we'll have show notes with links to all of this But I'll have to say it's a little quiet on the news front. NASFA in particular, you know, they take a little bit of a break here in August. So they haven't even done their off the cuff as often during the last few weeks. But I believe they have a new episode out this week. But we'll keep rolling along on a Tuesday, Friday kind of uh, schedule. And we'll get Dana in here as soon as we can. So let's start the news off. First one comes from our federal student aid folks. They put out the 2022-2023 expected, expected Family Contribution Formula Guide. This is super sexy reading. So going back just a little bit, Expected Family Contribution or EFC, in a sense... That's the result of the FAFSA that matters. That tells us high or low a student's eligibility for aid. The lower that expected family contribution, the higher the eligibility for aid. So, of course, how do you get to that number? There's a formula. Or I should say there's multiple formulas. In reality, there's a formula specifically for, say, dependent students, wherein primarily it looks at parent income and assets number of people in the household, et cetera. There's a separate formula for independent students who are just themselves with no dependents, or they could be married with no dependents. And then there's an independent student with dependents formula. Because the formula looks at those a little differently as far as when it comes to whose income gets looked at first how much income you can earn before we even look at it to calculate an EFC. So this guide is kind of all the magic behind it. So if a student ever really wanted to know, how do they get to my EFC? They could ask for this guide. There is an easy way. I'm sure you can Google search it or other search engines and find it because it's not um, top secret information. It's a little buried on federal student aid. But again, the federal student aid website is meant for people who work in the field. So it's kind of oriented that way. But if you ever wanted to read it, um, I will have a link in the show notes to the guide. So that's our first news item of the day. Let's do another one from the federal student aid people. Uh, They just announced how 2021-2022 supplemental awards, campus-based aid awards, Uh, will be distributed and how schools will be notified of their awards. So other than funds distributed through the supplemental process described in this new announcement they put out, they anticipate that any additional funds will become available sometime later in the year. So this is a special process for those schools that participate in the federal work study and or federal supplemental educational opportunity grant program. As we've talked about, those are what we call campus-based aid programs. They're kind of a little different from everything else. For federal work study and this FSEOG grant, schools get a set allocation every year for those two programs. And then there are some basic federal rules on how to spend it. Work studies probably got the most flexibility as far as, you know, how you find students who are interested in working on campus and how you place them and all that kind of left to the school. The FSCOG, there's some basic requirements as far as who you can look at first as far as the highest need students. So usually that's your students with the zero EFCs and the highest amount of financial need. But you get a certain amount of allocation, then you can kind of figure out how you divide it up. You can give large grants or smaller grants, etc. to kind of spread the money around. So what they do is they always do a little supplemental program here. And this is what the notification is about. that you can request... Really specifically, usually used to be just federal work-study money. If you thought you wanted some additional federal work-study money, and particularly to put towards um, community service type of work, and they would give you some additional money for that, and you'd have to track it that it went to community service. For example, on my campus, that would be our child development center. I could use it to hire students who helped in the classrooms, Um, You know, sometimes it's tutors or reading tutors or math tutors with the actual teachers in the classroom of the everything from infants to school age kids at our child development center. And so that was considered community service because we didn't just serve children of students, but children of those who were in the community. So uh, it's a a great way to expand the use of the dollar. So I'll put a link to this information here on how this. Supplemental Funds Part Works for this year. And if you haven't done it before, you may want to read it uh, because it is a way to cash in a little bit and get more money for your students. Let's look at something here from NASFA. So NASFA has out one of their news items here on the National, I'm sorry, Natural Disaster Guidance and Regulatory Relief. What they're putting out here is to remind schools in areas that are affected by natural disasters Uh, about guidance regarding the impact of such a major disaster on the administration of their federal aid programs. So this goes back to a Dear Colleague letter, Gen 17-08, and the attachments that came with it that were intended um, to help financial aid recipients and their families who are affected by federally declared disasters. So it supplements other information that you might find in the Federal Student Aid Handbook uh, or other Dear Colleague letters from years before. Uh, but there's a lot of information here. And the big thing is, here is, in events where uh, the United States president declares a disaster, Department of Ed provides guidance in, uh, for regulatory relief to students, institutions, including things like lenders, guarantee agencies, and the servicers of loans in administering financial aid programs, uh, all the different federal aid programs. So I can say that I've interacted with this a little bit when we had fires down here in Southern California, and I know my colleagues up north have dealt with this. The Department of Ed is very good about reaching out to you to see if they can do anything and help you. We've had it where, you know, fires have hit during the starts or ends of semesters where you're trying to do a disbursement and possible refunds of financial aid to students. And what happens when you can't send paper checks or you're not on campus to do this or processes don't run on time? Or it comes late enough in a semester where students are dropping out completely uh, because they're moving. They're leaving. They have to get out of town. They're trying to escape. Uh, what do you do uh, when a student completely drops out and you're in the midst of trying to give them aid? So there's a lot of guidance here on how to help you, the college and the students, in this guidance and regulatory relief. So what I'll do to make it easy is give you the link to the NASFA news article on this that will guide you through all of it. Now, before we go to our first break, we'll do one last thing here Um, from Department of Ed. They had some new, they had a nice little page here that had a listing of a variety of new electronic announcements. Um, Some new things that have just come out in the last few days. In fact, today, the newest one that's out is for those of you like me who do presentations at high schools. You like to have a nice presentation and have like some screenshots of parts of the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, to help guide your parents and students through the hardest parts of the form. I'll have to say, you know, way back in the day, I would do a FAFSA presentation and literally take pieces from the start to the end. And I'll say, that's nowadays if to do that because there's so many possible iterations of if you answer certain questions where it guides you next, you could be doing a presentation for four hours. And so that's really not as much uh, sense, and especially because the form is so much more user-friendly. It's better instead to guide you through the hardest parts or the parts where the biggest questions come up. But, but by the feds here putting out these FAFSA preview presentations, you'll get the screenshots you need. It's very useful because there is a FAFSA demo site that can be used and you can get screenshots from, but the federal government generally doesn't put out those updates into their demo site until late in September. And considering the FAFSA comes out October 1st, most of us are doing presentations in September. We need those slides now. This is probably the biggest update here on the list. There's some other things, though, um, as far as, again, we have federal holiday coming up. We've got Labor Day. We had the announcement about supplemental campus-based funds. And lastly, I'll mention, because it comes up in just literally a month, the Fizz app will be due. So that's due on October 1st every year. The Fizz app is a report that every college that does participate in campus-based aid need to complete. And it basically summarizes your last academic year's spending of FSEOG and federal work-study. Easy enough report to do. All of us got the data somewhere in our system. Easy enough to pull out. But before here, we continue on. And I've got some other news. Let's do a, a little bit of music here for everybody. Move us on to our next part of the show. And like that, we're back for our second cup segment here on the What's Brewing Seeds for Show. Time for a little refill, everybody. Blueberry sparkling water. That's good for you. (laughs) So uh, something that I found interesting, and it's it's a little bit longer of an article here out at NASFA, was about NASFA signing on to an amicus brief refuting allegations that colleges profited from the pandemic. So in a recent filing of a brief, NASFA has joined more than a dozen higher education organizations in contesting allegations that colleges somehow saw their financial fortunes padded by a windfall of federal funding due to the ongoing pandemic. So the legal filing demonstrates how institutions at the outset of the pandemic, you know, had to quickly pivot, in a sense, go online, uh, and had unforeseen costs associated with doing so. Um, if you really think about it, it was. Um, not just did students have to suddenly get laptops and computers and web cameras and internet a lot of faculty did too they may not you know not every campus has a uh, a portable computer for everyone to take with them to go home and do their work and so on top of software um, so as it says here far from an enormous windfall COVID-19 stressed tight budgets and exacerbated the financial challenges colleges and universities already faced this comes right out of the legal document As ACE, which is the American Council on Education, had testified at some point to Congress, uh, many academic institutions saw at least $120 billion in new expenses and lost revenue directly related to the pandemic. So I have to say, yes, uh, it's probably easy from the outside, even from the inside, to look at the the big dollar numbers as far as that came through in what we like to call HERF or Higher Education Relief Funding. And there was round one a little over a year ago, sometime in May of 2020. There was a round two that was at the end of the year, of the calendar year 2020. And then shortly after the new administration came in, there was a round three of HERF funding. And a lot of that included, of course, money set aside specifically for student grants, emergency grants of some sort. But there was institutional funding too which could be used for student grants or a variety of things at your institution. And it was pretty wide open as far as what you could do. I mean, you couldn't buy a new fleet of cars or anything like that. You couldn't go out to outer space with a billionaire. But it might mean buying technology technology software for your faculty and staff. It could mean um, using that money to buy internet service for students in some way. I mean, there's just such a variety of things. But it was big dollar amounts. But you have to consider, you know, we've seen some pretty big drops in enrollment over the last few semesters. We certainly have had uh, students in a variety of uh, circumstances. Uh, I know my college, uh, we have uh, handed out uh, Chromebooks probably as fast as they're rolling off the uh, manufacturing lines. Uh, many colleges were the same because students may not have had the right equipment or any equipment to do classes online. And it's not that they're incapable. It's just that if you don't have what you need, what do you do? And so this herf funding, as we call it, um, I'd like to see this uh, legal briefing here as far as who's putting forth the idea that uh, we're making it rich off of here. Because I got to say, if we are, uh, uh, as always, the money's not getting to me, at least, but in reality, this windfall is really just some of the backfill for some of these uh, major expenses many colleges had to take on in order to stay afloat. It's, you know, when this hit primarily early March, most schools were probably somewhere at the start or middle, maybe towards the end for some of their spring semesters or quarters, and so it's not easy to just say, okay, we're going to drop all the classes. I don't think that could have worked across the board, let alone at most institutions. And instead, you trucked on, and we found ways to get students in and through the semester as much as possible and get them uh, the equipment they needed when possible and the emergency funding. And that continues on until today because, obviously, we still have direct effects. It wasn't a case of, Students just got COVID early on and now they're cruising and people are still getting infected. And students are still having technological, uh, you know, uh, disparities, if you want to call it that. I mean, you know, having bad Internet, not enough uh, Internet to go around the house sometimes where it's college student, younger uh, K-12 kids in the house, maybe uh, parents working from home all now on the Internet. I mean, you think it's bad enough when you have three people on iPads in a house trying to do uh, Netflix. Think of Netflix plus all of the regular stuff that you have to do for work and school. So uh, interesting thing I thought here at uh, NASFA. On to a couple more articles here before we close out the day. I was looking out at uh, CNBC, which uh, is all about financial stuff. Going to add a little thing here about uh, Biden has canceled nine point five billion dollars in student loan debt, yet forgiveness for all isn't necessarily coming. And I think uh, because if you have seen that um, earlier in August, you know, Department of Ed under our current president announced it would cancel one point one billion dollars in loan debt for about one hundred and fifteen thousand borrowers who had attended ITT Technical Institute, uh, a now out of business school. The latest round of forgiveness begins, uh, brings the total to about nine point five billion, erasing for about another five hundred sixty thousand borrowers, according to Department of Ed. Um, you know, much of this might have been students who had total permanent disabilities that we talked about at a earlier show. But you know, we keep hearing about this potential of you know large numbers of uh, blanket um, potential blanket uh, canceling out of student loans is. Uh, being talked about uh, in our representative bodies and such. But, again, that still uh, could be far off for all we know, as much as some would like it. I don't want to give my opinion specifically on this. I think there's pluses and minuses to it all. But I think uh, we're just going to have to see how this plays out. I would like to see uh, all the proposals on all sides and see what really makes sense. Not just for today, but going forward. It'd be one thing if you said, let's cancel out all the student loans. And then the next day you said, we're not doing any more student loans. In a sense, you're saying you're closing it out. But I don't think that's what's on people's minds. Uh, Student loans will not just disappear overnight. Even if you just wipe out the old ones. If you're continuing to do new ones. So I'll give you the link to this CNBC article. Just some interesting reading. Also, some interesting reading in case you are bored at home and want to do some training. There are some new financial aid-related trainings posted to the CASFA website. There's a variety of free webinars. Let's see what's uh, fun out here. Um, Let's see. There's a bunch of stuff about student loans and all, but here, Constructing a Culture of Teamwork being put on by Attigo, and that'll be on September 14th. We'll include a direct link to that one for you. It's an early morning one, so it's 9 a.m. on that. Another one uh, from WASFA, which is our Western Association of Financial Aid Administrators, is doing something along with the Arizona FAFSA challenge here. But it's an interesting topic, increasing FAFSA completion, a lesson in collaboration from Arizona. So I guess we get to learn from them. Some other things here on customer service from Citizens Bank, delivering an exceptional customer service experience on November 15th. Uh, Let's see here. Winning the race to achieve your goals. Kind of a nice general topic being put on again by Attigo. And some new aid administrator training being offered by NASFA. So this will be an overview of financial aid programs, and that's going to be on September 21st. I hope I said September for all these dates. So September 21st to see the full list we'll have a link to the pdf in our show notes last couple things here some special alerts from our friends at California Student Aid Commission guess a quick update here the special alert number GSA 2021-39 guess a reminder to high school counselors and financial aid administrators that California community college students can still apply through the FAFSA or the DREAM Act application by September 2nd to be eligible for a Cal Grant award for the coming, I should say, current school year. So there's more information in another announcement, 2021-31, but it's just a reminder that we have this additional later deadline for those who are attending California community colleges. And then our last uh, here, uh, special alert, 2021-40, <clears throat> there is a new California DREAM Act application. And so in a sense, it's really an upgrade to the system for everybody. So through the grant delivery system modernization project, which has been going on for years, upgrading the California DREAM Act application, upgrading the web grants um, portal that students use, the web grants portal that professionals like I use to manage Cal Grants and my staff. Here's some of the highlights from a student perspective. So there's a unified username and password for the Dream Act application and the web grants for students accounts. So it's one thing for students. It's going to be accessible on mobile devices. That's a real big upgrade. Uh SUNA Commission was a little behind on that. And it will mirror the format of the FAFSA a little more closely. Uh, They had kind of parted ways as far as how they presented pages. It's going to be easier to navigate with categories, subcategories, and section breakdowns. It'll be easy to identify er errors on the pages with red exclamation marks and answer boxes. And there will be some auto hint functionality. So definitely some uh, nice upgrades here coming to the California Dream Act application our last news item here before we get out, I just found this interesting out at the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. I think they're in North Carolina. They had an article called, Did You Know College closer, Closures and Mergers Since 2016? So apparently, they did a little study here. Since 2016, 70 institutions have closed, merged, or are planning to close or merge in the coming years. 48 of these uh, closed entirely, while another 22 uh, merged with others. Some consolidation of public institutions and all for-profit colleges were excluded from this list um, uh, and count because um, they may have been uh, counted uh, in some other way, apparently. But you know, I'm looking here, California, it says, you know, we have four. We have Marymount College, Cal- uh, California University, now it says in 2023. So I believe there must be hanging on. Claremont School of Theology is ongoing here. Coleman University and Shepherd University, those two schools closed in 2018 and 17, respectively. You can see uh, when you scroll around this map, and I'll give you the link to the article, many of them are on the East Coast, again, where there are a significantly higher number of colleges and other other places. Because you get to Wisconsin, um, there is a Holy Family College that must have closed at some point here in 2020. And Iowa has nobody. And Minnesota has one. And Nebraska had a couple small schools. But you get out to New York, there's five colleges that did some kind of closure or consolidation. I just find it a little interesting because you hear about one or two of them, but I did not know that there was really 70 schools across the U.S. just in the last five years. Not that that's the only thing exciting here. What's exciting? little bit of music to get us into our last part of the show maybe and just like that we are back for what else but our last sip segment So normally me and Dana would have our I Dare You To uh, things here. Uh, But I really don't have a whole lot of I Dare You To's that I want to share right now. I think I'm going to... I have one I'm going to save, I think, for the end of the week because it probably will be based on some of my education books that I have that I talked about last time about other people can start buying them so I don't have to buy them all. Uh, But most of them are still at my house and I'm waiting to bring them all back into the office to put back on the shelves. So with that, I think what we'll do is get ourselves going here on the actual closeout of the show. So I want to thank everyone here for joining us today. I want to thank Dana, although she couldn't join us. But remember, everyone, there's always another episode coming. If you have something to say or you have topics you want us to discuss, please email us at wbcisfa at gmail.com. And for this and all What's Brewing CISFA podcasts, find us on Google Podcasts your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing Siswa is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana. This has been episode number 119, recorded Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. Have a great day, and everyone have a great week.